0: These are the confessions of a trap recruiter. I'm the Diddy of resumes. You're a recruiter? Can you give me a job? I'm trusted, I'm a relationship builder, I'm accountable, and I'm proactive. I still got 99 recruiter problems though. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of confessions of a trap recruiter today we have one of my oldest and dearest friends the reverend dr daryl l williams talking to us today from the topic of trust daryl please introduce yourself
1: well kirsten it's good to be with you today I'm glad that I'm one of your oldest friends, but I'm just going to say for the record, I am not old. You may be. I I am not old. I just got here. Anyway, uh, I'm Dr. Darrell Williams. I'm the senior pastor of the St. Paul Church in Oxon Hill, Maryland, and I am the owner and director of Williams Stewardship. Williams Stewardship is a financial consulting firm that helps um, people of faith and churches get their money act in order.
0: Very nice. So I'm glad that you started there. I'm glad you introduced yourself that way because I did want to ask you, you successfully transitioned your career, like your main nine to five, and were able to not to connect your purpose and your passion. That is something that is not easy to do. Can you share with the folks the steps you took getting from where you started to where you are today as Reverend Dr. Darrell?
1: Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in a small village in New York called Brooklyn, small village of about 5 million people. Um, And being from Brooklyn, a New Yorker by birth and growing up, New York kind of exposes you to the world at an early age. And I wanted to be an investment banker. I was, I grew up not that far from Wall Street. I wanted to work on Wall Street and kind of directed my life towards getting there. I was lucky enough to start as an intern at a very young age at an investment bank. I started when I was in high school and it was literally the only job I had until I transitioned careers. I worked uh, during the school year. I worked my summers and I did that all the way through college because I knew I wanted to be an investment banker. I had a job in my chosen field and was just going to live that out until one day I realized that as much as I loved investment banking and as well as I was doing, it wasn't what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. And luckily, I was young enough and early enough in my career that I still felt like I could take a chance. It was one Mm -hmm. of those, if this doesn't work, I can always go back to business school and try to get back on the train where I jumped off. So I made the decision and well... I mean, I I don't want to overly spiritualize it for people, but I made the decision, listening to what I believe to be the call of God on my life, to leave banking and do something else. I was sitting on the trading floor at work one night, and everybody had gone. And I looked around and just said, look, there's got to be more to life. This can't be it. And I was doing what I wanted to do. uh, When I realized that I had to do something else. I had to start trying to figure out a way to do it. And that, that was the tough part because you don't just leave a good paying job when you got student loan debt and credit card debt and all the rest of the stuff that comes with life after college. You don't just say, oh, well, you got to right. figure out a way to move from one thing to the other. And I was lucky enough that a friend of mine needed somebody to run the finance department at his church. So I didn't, as I transitioned slowly is the best way to put it. I took okay. the skill set that I had and just applied it to another environment at first. And mm-hmm. it was from there that I transitioned again and went back to grad school and went into really a life of full-time public ministry.
0: Yeah, that and that is phenomenal and I do thank you for dropping those those nuggets for the folks out here, no, definitely not overly spiritual because we do need to hear that many of us have a call in our lives and many of us will not pick up the phone <laughs> because we are afraid and because we don't trust that things are going to work out. Uh, I shared this with maybe one or two other people uh, publicly before, but I knew that I too was not supposed to be in corporate america anymore and god literally made me so uncomfortable that i quit a job after having been laid off for almost a year so this was in 2017 when i really really started my business cuz you know i was playing around with it i wasn't doing everything i needed to do but in 2017, I went back to work and for nine days, God made me so uncomfortable that I could not do it anymore. And I didn't have any prospects. I did not. Cause I, I stopped doing the work. You know, I, I was just like, okay, I have to have a steady paycheck. This isn't working out. I just got to go for it. And by day nine, I said, you know what? Nope. I closed my laptop and I said, I don't work here anymore. <laughs> I did like Eric Cartman. Screw you guys! I'm going home. Like, no, that was not fair. So, so the the level of trust that you have to have not only in yourself, but in the but in your calling and in your higher being is is phenomenal. And many people don't share that. So, please, I, I'm glad you said that, and and I hope more people will will answer the call um, because you have shared that, and hopefully me helping out a little bit saying yes th- these things are true uh no matter who you pray to like yeah. no matter who you worship no matter who you revere like these things are true like it's already in you so absolutely woo. <laughs> now another thing that you did because you know I've, I've watched your career over the years uh, as much as you would like to say that i'm the old one you are older than me kyle barker um <laughs> And I have watched your I have watched your career um, just flourish and and I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud to know some very very uh, accomplished people, um, most of which came out of my spiritual life um, and that I've known for for many, many decades like you. So explain to us or help us understand like um how how it is that you are able to create the job that you that you want? Like, in what ways have you been able to apply again your passion for numbers and for finances to religious organizations?
1: Sure. Um, what happens is. People often think that because they've transitioned context, that they've transitioned interest. I never stopped having an interest in finance or a facility with numbers and, you know, numbers and money and helping people with that. You don't lose the skills in your head because you don't want to work somewhere anymore. So when I moved, like I said, my first transition was to the finance department in a church. And I've never been not involved in faith and money in some way since then. Um, what many people don't realize is that, you know, your early years as a pastor, you may or may not be making, <clears throat> let's just call it um, a living wage. <laughs> you may Amen. just be, you know, kind of figuring it out. So, mm-hmm. you know, my when I got my first church that I was the senior pastor of, I had to get a job. And I had to get that job and be the pastor of that church. And luckily, because I had a finance background, because I had worked with money and people, I got a job in fundraising um, at a university. So, again, on... My nine to five was corporate relations fundraiser for a university. And my, you know, rest of the day was pastor of a church. You know, I would I would leave my quote unquote corporate job and go do funerals on my lunch hour and then come back to my desk because wow. I, had, I had bills. I had student loans. I had all the stuff that comes with it. So I it gave me the ability to meld my passions together Uh and the truth of the matter is after doing that for a little while I didn't find the job I wanted the job that I wanted found me you know the interesting thing about having a diverse background or one that people find almost you know, hypocritically juxtaposed to one another is -hmm. that it makes you weird to people. So people find out that you're the preacher who used to be an investment banker. They wanna talk to you about that. Or they find out that you're, you know, a fundraiser who pastors a church simultaneously. They wanna talk to you about that. So the next move in my career a position that I did not know existed opened because a friend of a friend told somebody, Hey, listen, I know this guy with this really interesting background and they needed somebody who literally had that background. So I moved to become the, um, what was my original position? I was the director of investments and planned giving for the unite for the United Methodist Foundation of the Baltimore-Washington Conference. So it was literally putting all of my years of learning, training, and doing together. Um, I have always said, you don't know what door is open years from now that you're being prepared for now. If you looked at my resume when they started looking for somebody for that position, I had literally the perfect resume for a job I didn't know existed. So it wasn't something that I planned to get to. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know that people did that. I didn't know that there was this we need somebody who can. Talk church, talk to people about funding in churches and raising funds, but also be able to deal with endowments and investments and, you know, be and be the frontline person of managing a fund and managing fund managers. I didn't know that job existed, but. You can be training for years for something that you don't know exists, and then the door opens and you're standing there as the perfect candidate. So my transition was into literally doing faith and finance for a living. I started off as the Director of Investments and Plan Giving, and then I became Executive Director of the Foundation and did that for five years before I went back to um, being a full-time pastor. But like I said, though those skills, those <laughs> desires, they don't go away. So when I stopped running the foundation is when I started consulting. I started saying, listen, I know how to do this and people need this. The, the thing with any business or any service, and when I say business or service, I often tell people, think of yourself as a business no matter where you work. And if okay. you're working full-time corporate, they are just your largest client. They just don't have to be your only client. So the question is, do you want to have more clients? So when I went back to being a full-time pastor, I still had, I mean, we'd call it a side hustle now, but I still had some clients who would call me every so often. Listen, can you do this short-term contract about this? Can you come do a workshop on this? And was it the money that was, you know, putting food on the table? No, but it was a nice secondary stream of income that allowed me to stay sharp in something that I really enjoy and help people. So, you know, when you have an answer, people do have a question. So yeah. you can become the answer to people's question without knowing it. And then the question just is, do you want to serve and help people? And I've always wanted to.
0: Oh my goodness. Woo! <laughs> like you, you have dropped so many gems. I can't wait to, to break this up and, and, Put your quotables out there. Uh, I hope people are listening because you have said so, so many things that are, that are important and that apply no matter what your field of interest is. So uh, let's move on to the next question. You have a consulting business. Now you work with churches and with people or uh, and the congregants or just with the churches and them getting their finances together.
1: I do both. Um okay. what I call my business, it I call it William Stewardship. Stewardship is basically just management. It's a, just a more churchy word for it. Okay. So it's William's financial management, but I just call it William Stewardship. And what I found, again, this is how your history comes into play. I was originally working with churches, but I also realized that the the lid on a church's ability to raise funds to do ministry is how jacked up the finances of the congregants are. And, you know, most people want to be philanthropists. They want to be generous, but their money is jacked up. And, you know, people always say, I want to if I could, or if I could figure out a way to. So I said, listen, you know, the principles that i learned of finance when i was on wall street and helping people with retirements and investment and those sorts of things those apply to people of faith as well and what we do at william stewardship is we help you align your faith and your finances so that you don't have guilt about the blessings and abundance that God gives you. But if you don't have blessings and abundance, we also want to be able to give you biblical godly tools that will align what you have to move you forward. Oh my goodness.
0: Again, another one like to not feel guilty about the abundance that you have and then to not feel bad about the things that you don't have yet. Like wow, you are, I'm going to have to give you an offering at the end of this. <laughs> and, and sorry, Reverend Newton, not have to go to church for quite some time. Uh, Cause I can just keep replaying this sermon. <laughs> I'm so ignorant. I know, but you've known this for years. years. Uh, yes. So again, because we've known each other for a long time, and you were one of one of the folks that I trusted. Uh, I do want to, you know, drop the trap confession that at the time that I was laid off uh, because of your advice, because of your instructions, because you were able to give me the right tools, um, I saved enough money that being unemployed was in some ways a blessing. In a lot of ways a blessing. So if you could share with the folks the formula that you gave me that allowed me to be prosperous and to save, I think that would be helpful.
1: Sure. Uh, It's a very basic equation. 10, 10, 80. Um, Your first 10% You give to, um, as a Christian, I give my first 10% to God. I give it to the church to do God's work and God's ministry. My second 10%, I save or invest. And then I live a lifestyle within the 80% that's left what we often will do is we will live a hundred percent lifestyle and then try to figure out how to give and save. That that just doesn't work because what you're trying to do is save on what's left over or give on what's left over. I always say you put first things first. You You put God first, then you pay yourself, then you pay everybody else. Because if we're completely honest, the reason most of us have financial fear and anxiety is because we owe folk. You you don't have financial (laughs) fear and anxiety just because your fear is American Express. Your fear (laughs) is your mortgage. Your fear is your car note. You are anxious about how you're going to pay that stuff. Amen. You're not just sitting around like, I want to roll around in a bed of hundreds. No, you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay these people. And all no. too often, because we are not content we try to buy our way into contentment. And every time we try to buy our way into contentment, we mortgage our contentment into anxiety, trying to figure out how we're going to pay for these things that we bought to make us feel better. And now they've trapped us, because we have to make money to pay for stuff that we bought to make us feel better. Man.
0: Wow. Again mortgage your contentment. Do not do that. Not if you want to be happy. (laughs) Not if you want to be happy. So you mentioned side hustles. Necessary or nice to have?
1: Uh, That is an it depends. Okay. We live in a world where everybody says, you know, You got to have a side hustle. You got to have multiple streams of income. And that's great, except you got to trace back why you got to have a side hustle and multiple streams of income. You have to have a side hustle and multiple streams of income because you need more money than you make at your job. There was a time when if you had a job, you know what you did when you were off? You were off. When you have a side hustle, you're working in your off hours. And the question that I ask everybody is, to what? End. If you're doing it because you need it to live, then it's necessary. If you're doing it because you're trying to pay off debt, then it's necessary because I believe in getting out of debt. But if you're doing it just because everybody else is, baby, wouldn't you rather just watch Netflix sometimes? I mean, like, what, what, you got to ask yourself, what am I doing this for? Because what many of us was rest. I mean, your side hustle is going to be hustle. You're going to have to hustle your way through it. So, if you're, si- if you're working a side hustle to the end of, I wanna get off my nine to five and have my side hustle become my main thing, that's cool, but you need to ask yourself some questions about that. Like, if that's what you're trying to do, ask yourself, how much money do I need to be making to leave my job? And people always say, well, when I can make my salary. No, when you can make your salary, your benefits, uh-huh. your healthcare, and your retirement, And another 10%, because if you work for the government, you get a COLA every year. If you work for yourself, you gotta come up with a COLA every year. So many times people leave too early because they've underestimated the cost that are associated with being your own boss. Not to mention, you gotta figure out your new tax situation, because what most people don't realize is that employer tax versus self-employed tax are not the same thing. No, they are not. And while federal jail is nice, I don't want to go there either, so.
0: Definitely not. And for those that don't know what a COLA is, it's your cost of living adjustment. Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, we, <laughs> we understand everyone doesn't know um, what that means, but those were, those were great uh, tips as well. So let's dive into the fun part, although all of this has been fun for me because I enjoy talking to you um, and I enjoy hearing hearing the things you say, even when you're not um, in the pulpit with the Bible. So when you were a kid, what mm-hmm. was your dream job? And you've already told us this. Yeah. Kyle Barker,
1: Jr. Uh, you know, Kyle was kind of a stockbroker. It was more Gordon Gekka. Okay. You oh. know, Kyle was still working for a living. I I wanted to be at the top of the food chain. Oh, Excuse me, you want you were you wanted to be
0: well past when he became the funds manager for Africa.
1: Yeah. Look, Kyle had caught up with my dream when they gave him the London office. He was then catching up with what I was trying to do. Ooh, that's a flex. <laughs> like I appreciate the funds manager for Africa, but you know, <laughs> I was trying to get to I was trying to get to that level where, you know you're not working for your salary, you're working for your bonus. I was trying to get to that level where it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I think I want to transition to being CEO of something. So it wasn't that I wanted to hustle stocks. Like, I was never a stockbroker. Like, that was Kyle's original job. Like, I didn't do that. I was always on the fund management side. Okay. So I was never like cold calling people saying, hey, you know, I got this hot tip. Like, that wasn't what I did. And I was trying to get to the point where if you were trying to buy a company, you come see me and my team and we put the finances together for you. Like that's, I was trying to be, you know, Gordon Gecko. I was trying to be Colbert, Kravitz and Roberts. I was trying to be that level of thing.
0: All right, okay. So what's the best career advice you received but did not apply.
1: but did not
0: apply or applied later on cuz i've had folks answer that question with what they didn't apply you know, in real time.
1: It's really counterintuitive. It okay. The best career advice i was given was relax. It was literally relax. At the bank, I remember this guy who was a vice president. He was about to be made first vice president. He was about to get the one promotion before you get to managing director, which is kind of the top of the food chain. Okay. So he was one promotion away. And we were talking. I was like, man, congratulations. He was like, come here. Let me talk to you for a second. He pulled me aside and said, listen, you are going to be a managing director one day. Whether you are a managing director at 32 or 35 does not matter. Calm down because he wanted me to understand the sacrifices that he had made along the way mm-hmm. trying to get there. And, you know, I was I was tight A, hard charge, and I'm going to be a managing director by whether it kills me or not, and I'm going to do it as early as humanly possible. And he was like, calm down, there's, there's more to life. Because once you make it, now you got to stay there. And if you make it at 35 and you going to retire at 65, you got 30 years. Oof. Were you already at the top? Now what? And this thing was calm down, relax, enjoy the ride. And so often we're focused on getting there that we don't realize that you, when you get there, you don't retire. You got to work there. So You have to maintain it, absolutely. You, it's still work. Now, it's better work than at the bottom of the food chain, right. but it's still work. And you still have a boss and you still have... You still have pressure. You still have all the things that come with it. Mm-hmm. And his advice to me was don't give yourself don't give yourself an ulcer over this. There's more to life. And you took it. Eventually. Eventually. Okay. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> honestly, my personality type has not changed. So I'm not great at it now. But it's something that I always have to remind myself of. Sometimes you just gotta relax. It's gonna be okay.
0: So is that the advice that you would give to to a young person, to a job seeker? To relax.
1: Uh, honestly, the advice I would give a young person or a job seeker right now is look broadly okay. at the world. And what I mean by that is I think now about all of the careers that I never even thought about that could have been interesting, but I was laser focused on doing this one thing so early in life. I was laser focused on being an investment banker. So I turned down interesting internships because I was like, it's not investment banking. And there's a place for extreme focus. It got me to where I was trying to go, but I got, I had this internship opportunity with a, I'm not going to name them because, you know, I'm not giving out free advertising, but with a really nice magazine that abundant subscribers, all sorts of stuff, really nice opportunity that, you know, I was like, it's not investment banking. When I was in college, I had an internship. I went to college in Atlanta. I had an internship with a, um, we'll just call them a very productive record label. blew it off because it wasn't investment banking. And I look back and I think I could have been running Vanity Fair. (laughs) I could have been running Motown. I could have been doing any number of things. So my advice to a young person is don't close yourself off to opportunity because the straight line that you've picked may not be the straight line that you want to be on.
0: I like that, and and I will buttress that with my advice, the advice that I didn't take, which is relocate when you are younger. Mm -hmm. Take those opportunities that are outside of your geographic comfort zone, because you will learn so much from those experiences. Take those chances. All right, so last question, my fun question, I want to add to the Trap Recruiter uh, playlist. So, what's your go to song or songs when you need a workday pick me up?
1: Ooh, when I need a workday pick me up, Till I Collapse by Eminem. A, a, no, a new
0: song that I've never heard, but I will look it up.
1: Till I Collapse by Eminem.
0: And you have surprised me just as another guest has, because I thought for sure it was going to be some Brooklyn-based hip-hop.
1: Well, here's the thing. My ongoing playlist is Brooklyn-based hip-hop. Like, I was at okay, total side note, so we're going to go into a Brooklyn side story here. Okay. People ask me all the time, because, you know, hip-hop generation, who are your top five rappers? And I always tell people, I can't give you a top five that makes sense because I put together a top five based on who I am. So Mm. my top five is all East coast based. Doesn't mean I don't like West coast rap. Doesn't mean I don't like Southern rap. Doesn't mean I don't like anything else, but outside, but when you ask me who my top five are, I look at a top five rappers from the standpoint of like, I look at it like I'm building a team. Right. I've got a battle rapper. I've got somebody to drop hits. I've got somebody to drop bars. i got somebody to be a legend. So, and they may not be the best at these, but I'm like, if you come for us, can you beat us? Is how I put my top five. (laughs) You can come for us, but who can you bring one to five and beat us at everything? Because I put together a list based on having a team that's like, yeah, bring who you want. We'll be waiting. That was a very Brooklyn answer.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, again, you have given me some, some great advice, and I'm a career coach, and I've learned some things that I'm going to apply, and I am going to pass them down uh, because sharing is caring. Uh, but thank you again, Reverend Dr. Daryl L. Williams, please tell folks where they can follow you on social media if you like. And also if there are any things uh, that you want to promote that's coming up that you think would be of interest to people that are listening. Uh,
1: If you want to follow me on social, I'm most active on Instagram really. And my Instagram is Rev Daryl, R-E-V-D-A-R-Y-L. If you go on Facebook and you put in Daryl Williams, you'll find me. and on Twitter, I'm at Rev Darryl. I'm not as active on Twitter as I want to be because look, I got a wife, I got a, I got a baby, I got a lot to do. I can't be tweeting all day. True. But yeah, my social is basically across platforms. You can find me at Rev Darryl. All
0: right. Thank you so much. And can they can they watch you online? I
1: mean, virtual church. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can absolutely watch me online. I We talked all this finance and career stuff. I am the senior pastor of the St. Paul Church in Oxon Hill. And you can find us online at www.stpauloxonhill.org. So stpauloxonhil l.org. We'd love to have you. We have worship service um, 8 o'clock, 1030 and noon on Sundays and mm-hmm. on demand after that. So we'd love to have you check us out.
0: Yes. And if you follow them on Instagram, they have a fire playlist every single day.
1: No, not every day. Just five days a
0: week. Are there more than five days a week? Because I feel like during this time, they're all the same day. They are. Yeah. (laughs) Once again. I just don't
1: want folk looking for a new one on Saturday. It's like, she (laughs) said.
0: You're right. Forgive me. They have a fire playlist during the alleged weekdays.
1: The alleged ones. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Daryl. Um, you are my friend, you are my brother, and could not do this without you. Appreciate you. See you guys next time. Bye bye. These are the confessions of a trap recruiter. I'm the Diddy of resumes. You're a recruiter? Can you get me a job? I'm trusted. I'm a relationship builder. I'm accountable. And I'm proactive. I still got 99 recruiter problems, though. All recruiters should be diverse.